Hello and, and welcome to this episode of our Talking Research uh, Podcasts. I am Eduardo Sánchez, Head of Fixed Income, an absolute return here at the Square Mile. Today we are going to talk about fixed income. Currently we are living in a negative environment for the asset class. The first quarter of the year has been one of the worst on record in terms of uh, performance, with central banks raising interest rates to try to reduce or contain the elevated levels of inflation. And then the terrible situation in Ukraine has amplified the inflation spiral with higher commodity prices in energy, oil, gas, and, and, and food, and food prices as well, negatively impacting the, the consumer. Also, we have the lockdowns in China due to the zero tolerance policy to, to COVID. All these factors are putting pressure on the evolution of the of the global economy and we are seeing very volatile markets but not only in in fixed income so to discuss how fixed income assets have uh, evolved uh, recently and more importantly uh, what we can expect going forward and what opportunities we 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 have i am joined by two experts in fixed income john patulo co-head of strategic fixed income and portfolio manager at Janus Henderson and uh, Stuart Edwards, fund manager at uh, Invesco. So um, we, we we can start, for example, with uh, you, John. My first question would be, why do you think that fixed income uh, didn't act as a safe haven in the market uh, sell-off that we saw in the first quarter of the year? Yeah, sure. Well, I might just set the scene a little bit, if that's okay, because... <laughs> You know, post-COVID, you've had a massive monetary and fiscal expansion working together. Now, normally those two policy tools offset each other. And hey, presto, we've got too much demand with limited supply. And I think it's a classic cycle. It's just most investors aren't used to this sort of inflationary surge that we've had. They're used to a deflationary impulse and the other way around. Um, so, you know, for a while, uh, the Fed, as you know, have, uh, will be putting rates up um, on May the 4th. Um, they're massively behind the curve. They've got a massive panic on and they've got political pressure to conquer inflation as well. The energy price has obviously been exaggerated, as you said, with the Ukraine war. And now, frankly, they're going to destroy demand, raise rates too much too late into an economy which is already slowing. Um, and I'm jumping ahead a bit. I'm sorry. But um, that is a tough environment for a while. And until front end rates catch up with two year rates, because, you know, the old joke is the Fed just follows the two year. Um they're going to slow down. It's just a policy tool. It's actually hurting by working or working by hurting. Okay. And what, what are your views there, Stuart? Yeah, well, uh, normally fixed income would act as, uh, you know, a diversifier and um, would attract safe haven flows. You know, it has done historically when you've had periods of, of risk off across markets. You know, in this case, it's been uh, caused by, you know, the war in U Ukraine. But Q1 was quite unique. Um, to John's points, it's you know it was a period of of catch up um, and realization that bond valuations were just simply too low because of the legacy of COVID and all the policy support that went with that. So low interest rates, quantitative easing, and such like. And you know perhaps central banks uh, haven't pursued. Um, you know, what I would call quite asymmetric policies for years, if not decades, uh, you know, having effectively defeated inflation, it seems that they were always there 
to respond to any policy crises. Um, you know, we saw it with the GFC, we saw it with the Eurozone crisis, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that was the playbook through COVID. And it left us with bond yields that were just simply too low. Policy was kept too loose for too long because central banks wanted to give, quite rightly, you, you might argue, wanted to give growth a, a chance and get employment levels uh, higher. So it left us with bond yields that were very low um, and central banks that were behind the curve in the face of uh, the growing inflation threat. And, you know, the notion that inflation was transitory, we never really bought into that last year. It's clearly now been dropped, that narrative, um, and central plant banks are playing a process of catch up. So in the first quarter of this year, uh, where you might ordinarily have expected bonds to do their job as a safe haven asset, I'm afraid they were just massively overwhelmed by this huge repricing that you know, went on in, in markets because of pricing of central bank rate hikes and, of course, the inflation backdrop, uh, which is far less benign than I think most you know, investors last year, at least, and central bankers uh, felt would be the case. Okay, okay. So you, so you think, um, both of you, that that, that was a, a particular event, that it was very, very difficult, but now for fixed income to, to protect returns, but now that yields are, are higher, you, you expect that, again, they, they, can, they can protect investors if we see another risk of uh, environment? Yeah, perhaps if I could just, um, I think we've got to a position now where the, the risks are becoming a, li a little bit more balanced in fixed income, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, the way I think of it, or, or at least there's a lot of central bank um, tightening now priced in, um, you know, in the case of the U US, there's as much, you know, if if the US Federal Reserve hikes as much as what is priced in markets, it will be the most tightening since 1980 under the Volcker Fed. So it's a significant amount of pricing in, you know, in the fixed income market, in the US Treasury market, uh, in, you know, in terms of tightening. So we've probably got to a, a point where the uh, risks have become a bit more balanced, uh, to my mind. Uh, and, you know, perhaps a fixed income can fulfill its historical role, uh, you know, as, as a sort of go-to place in the event of, you know, further risk off and, you know, tensions across markets, you know, particularly as it relates to Russia, Ukraine, for example. But it's a tough environment. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Macro volatility has picked up significantly. And I think, you know, that volatility is here to stay. Yeah, I don't know if, John, you wanted to add something? No, no, I think it's a massive pivot event. I think the, the question for the listeners is, do you want to be short of duration from here, as arguably the economies move from, you know, an inflationary narrative to what is, I, I think, round a torn a, a growth scare. And with equities coming off pretty rough this week, we're actually finding clients more interested in bonds than they have been, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, and actually, it's the 28th of April today, but we've also just had US GDP for the first quarter uh, came in below expectation at minus 1.4% after the extraordinary, I think, 6.8% in Q4, quarter on quarter GDP. And a lot of that was mass inventory stock build in Q4. Um, so, you know, the run rate, we think, is at a pivot point, an inflection point. And from here, we're actually pretty bullish sovereign bonds. Um, and not least because of the extraordinary hawkishness over the Fed. Um, and we're pretty shy on credit, actually, from this point forward. So actually, hopefully, this podcast might be quite a topical uh, a, a topical one. Okay, okay that's, uh, that's good. I was going to ask another of the, the, the issues that I wanted to, to bring to the conversation was about whether you think that central banks, with all what they are doing, all the 
the tightening of financial conditions, if they really can control uh, inflation or it is up to their, their, their hands and, and, and they came too, too late? Well, I mean, they, you know, taking a step back, you know, I think the, the low inflation environment that we, or the benign inflation environment rather that we've had over the past couple of decades, you know, really that the structural factors at, at play there, uh, globalization, technology, demographics, you could argue. Uh, so it's been a very, it's been an environment where it's been quite an easy job, at least as it relates to inflation for central banks. And they can't, you know, they can't control the supply side, or at least not over the short to medium term. Uh, they can't influence the supply side. And, and of course, what we're seeing now is not only, to my mind, are some of those sort of longer term structural factors like globalization starting to turn, but you've, as we all know, we've got shorter term sort of supply constraints that are helping to push up inflation as well. So clearly, they don't have it in their power to control many of these factors, you know, many of these frictions that we're seeing in the post covid uh, world which of course are being exacerbated by what's happening in russia and ukraine but what they can do is they can influence demand they kept policy too loose for too long that boosted money money supply and you know it supported the economy you know out of covid and they have it in their control to do something about that but but the issue that they've got and we've already touched upon this is that they are behind the curve and they're playing a process of catch up so you know, that is, therein lies the risk. They can't do anything about inflation over the foreseeable future um, because monetary policy tends to act with a lag. But they are, you know, um, sort of in a, in a way, they're in the dark. They they're suddenly have to slam on the brakes and they don't know whether they're going to be able to engineer a soft landing. I suspect not. And that does, of course, raise uh, risks of a recession at some point down the line, perhaps in 2023. So yes, they do have the ability to control inflation. It's just that it might, you know, it might require, uh, unfortunately, a recession, uh, you know, to do so, at least to get inflation back to the target. Okay, what about you, you, you John? And actually, I, uh, we can link with, with the, the, the following question that I, that I had uh, prepared, whether you are concerned with the risk of, of economic recession and whether maybe the, the banks are doing, are doing too much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, put it this way. If you were to say to me, how would you get a hard landing? I would say you have a super strong dollar, you have super high oil price, you have a flat yield curve, and you have uh, falling growth in the money supply and tightening financial conditions. You got five, five out of five there, uh, which is, <laughs> it's not good. And uh, yeah, so um, I mean, all central bankers really care about is I make sure I wasn't the one who let the inflation genie out of the bottle. It's like a chancellor. Say so the worst thing, you, the label you could call a chancellor is the word boom after his name, like the Lawson boom. You, you know, I'm sure Nigel Lawson hates, you know, all we remember about Lawson is Lawson boom, you know, the barber boom. So it's highly political. No one wants to get blamed for letting inflation expectations rise. They are going to destroy demand, as um, Stuart said, which is not nice because it's predominantly, a, you know, supply side issues. Um, so I think a hard landing is baked in for UK, Europe, um, and the states will need to see. Um, but what we're seeing in destruction of demand in shipping rates, freight rates, used car prices on the inflation side, Chinese exports, it's, I think it's a bit worrying actually out there. So yeah, it, they will conquer inflation by destroying activity, jobs and livelihoods. Are you as concerned, uh, Stuart, with the recession risk? I'm getting increasingly concerned. I mean, if you'd asked me, if we'd had this this call at the tail end of the second half of last year, it was easier to construct a, a more positive growth narrative, clearly, 
and stating the obvious, we were coming out of COVID and you had that tailwind um, of economies opening up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and of course, you know, the tailwind um, offered by the very loose policies that uh, we've described, so fiscal policy and, and of course, monetary policy as well. Uh, and then uh, along with that, um, and, and all related to all of this is, of course, the pent up savings that a lot of people have spoken about, which, you know, maybe to some degree might help mitigate um, some of the issues that we're talking about. But the reality is, is that recessionary risks are really, I'm afraid, staring us in, in the face. Uh, you've got a cost of living crisis, which is going to clearly clamp down on discretionary demand in the consumer sector. And um, interest rate hikes. Uh, you've got a slowdown in China, which is being exacerbated by their own policies as it relates to COVID, as we all know. And you've still got these supply bottlenecks, really, which in in a way is you know at risk of destroying um, demand because if businesses can't get the inputs that they require, whether it's uh, the raw materials or whether it's labour, even then a business can't function properly. Um, and th that was always the risk last year, right? But it's this year, you've also got um, the potential for demand to take a big hit as well. So it's a pretty toxic mix. Um, now, uh, probably if I'd argue maybe I'm not quite as bearish as, as John, uh, because I think you've still got uh, a strong labour market. Now, of course, from the starting point, you might argue where that all that means is that there's more room for unemployment to rise. But I think, you know, there there is still strong demand for labour and you do have pent up savings that does help, obviously not the lower income uh, brackets, as, as we know, but there's certainly the middle income brackets and the higher income brackets. So that should support um, uh, consumption. Uh, and the other, I suppose, positive argument, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, is that corporate balance sheets are in reasonably good shape as well. And there's no real evidence of huge imbalances and, and leverage uh, in the system. But no, it, it's still. I'm still a lot, lot more pessimistic on on growth than I was, you know, six months ago because of the reasons that we talked about, because of the aggressive rate hikes that are now priced in, and because of the cost of living crisis that we all face. So, yeah, um, it's not the the outlook is definitely bleaker than than perhaps it was a, f a few months back. Of, of course. Okay, we, we have. Uh, well, I don't know. If you, you wanted to just a sort of additional point is we take quite a lot of comfort from the rotation you're seeing in equity markets okay so you have this rather bizarre situation the utility sector in the states are pretty much a record highs REITs are pretty much record highs healthcare is performing pretty well and energy is pretty much a record highs right <laughs> meanwhile transports are getting slammed banking's getting slammed um, semiconductors getting slammed and it's a bit like saying the equity market has sniffed this downturn out ahead of the bond market because the bond market still has to tolerate the Fed putting out rates before they cut them. And this is exactly what happened in the summer and autumn of 2018, wherein if you look at what happened to defensive versus cyclicals or quality versus less quality in the equity markets, the equity market had already just turned defensive and the, eventually the late cyclicals turned over, late cyclicals being um, semis and... Um, banking and more interesting miners, which have just turned over, um, but utilities were already motoring. And then about three, two or three months ago, bonds kind of got the gig and then rallied. And that's exactly what we're seeing, we think, going on here. So yeah, sure, we may have been a bit early going long sovereign duration here, but we're seeing a lot of signals from the equity market 
Um, the equity market is actually, in my opinion, leading the bond markets because the bond market, as I said up front, is kind of the problem because it's the policy tool to slow down the rest of the economy. So it's really fascinating under the bond, I think, in equity markets. And as I said, I think equity markets have only really got the gig in the last week or two because they've got a, the sense of, oh, it's it's a reflationary inflation narrative. Oh, no, growth is uh, declining quite fast. Where next? Yes, I, I just wanted to touch on, on, on the portfolios because we, we have uh, reviewed what, what has happened and what are your, your views. But yeah, how have you navigated well, the difficult market for, for fixed income in the first quarter and still in, in, in April with the rates going up and spreads widening and, and, and volatility? So if you can talk us uh, through, through that, for example, you, you John, and, and then also where, where are you finding the, the, the opportunities now? Yeah, I mean, we, um, I mean, hands up, we've gone long duration too early, but our conviction is higher from here and has our conviction's got higher in the last couple of weeks because those sort of things, that evidence I cited to you. You know, we came into the year about low threes duration, now we're high sevens. Um, so we have built a longer sovereign duration all quarter. And in the first week of March, that was feeling pretty good, to be honest, because Treasuries rallied pretty well first week of March. But then obviously the inflation narrative got extended with the Ukraine war. Um, and a very high oil price. And then the Fed has gone super hawkish. But the irony of that is it just resolves and makes us stronger in our conviction for more sovereign duration and less credit risk going forwards, even though hands up, it's been a tricky time. The only other point I would be, and it's not an excuse, it's just a fact, there's not been many places to hide. So yeah, you know, sovereign bonds have been awful, but investment grade and high yield has been awful as well. Sure, we, we had a few loans on and a bit of cash, but not nearly enough in hindsight. Um, and one thing uh, listeners may, may not realize, we're just looking, I mean, you know, ballpark investment grade in the States is down 12%, uh, but 9% of that is a sovereign bond. Only 3% is the widening the credit spreads. So from here forwards, we're actually reasonably bullish sovereigns and quality investment grade. For what it's worth, um, the junior high yield tranches, as is triple C and single B and cyclical symbol B until April have actually, relatively speaking, outperformed, as in gone down less, um, which is a little bit counterintuitive because I think, as Stuart said, you know, credit metrics are all pretty reasonable and the corporates aren't the villains here. Um, but it's pretty weird to see the triple C. I mean, triple C energy, needless to say, has performed pretty well, relatively speaking, as in gone down less hard compared to the, the longer duration, you know, double B sort of part of the market. Um, so, yeah, we're about half the fund is exposed to pure sovereign risk from here. And I think we'll build it a bit higher, given our bearish views. And what about you, uh, Stuart? Because you are as well a, a very uh, active uh, manager that uh, in fixed income that can invest across the different different asset classes and also in, in duration. How have you moved the, the portfolio? You know, I think it, it's been an environment that has obviously suited you know, more flexible mandates. I think, you know, flexible in the sense of being able to invest in different parts of the um, fixed income universe because it's clearly it's a big broad church and it's very important to have that flexibility as it relates to duration as as well. The so talk to, you know speaking about the tactical bond fund that I that I manage, you know it does have all of those elements, so it's been quite in in one sense enjoyable managing that in this environment. Whereas I think if you have a more plain vanilla credit fund, then obviously it's a bit more more tricky when everything's coming off. So. I mean, we started the period uh, quite quite defensive, had a lot of liquidity in the fund. I mean, it's a fund that can invest, as you know, Eduardo, in, in credit, but also rate strategies, EM to a degree, uh, et cetera. So, 
we've been fairly defensive, quite a bit of liquidity, and at the beginning of the year, at least, very uh, short duration, actually around zero. So that put us in a good position. I mean, we did start to increase that, um, and it felt like the right thing to do around the time of the Russia Ukraine crisis, but of course the rally in fixed income proved to be very short-lived, and rates carried on selling off because central banks were responding to the higher inflation threat, etc. As we as we've discussed, so it felt quite a painful thing to do raising duration, and but I, in that sense, agree with John. It is the right thing to do. I mean, we've been increasing duration further, so having gone from a zero up to just below sort of four um, in the tactical bond funds, we're not quite as high as. John, but it, it, historically, it's a fund that tend, has tended to have lower duration on on average. So, you know, it's it's a lot higher than it was. It's got room to go higher, and I'm inclined, uh, I think, to push it that way. And we've been lots of discussions in our team recently about the evolution of yields from here. And you know, I think, given you know what I said about the fact that a lot of central bank risk is now priced in. The risks between growth and inflation are, if anything, becoming a lot more balanced. This, these rate hikes, this cost of living crisis is going to feed back into demand, right? So I think the risks around, as things stand, at least for the foreseeable future, are a lot more balanced. And I, uh, you know, if you think about previous um, tightening cycles, I'm referring to Fed tightening cycles here in the uh, early 2000s and in the 1990s, what you typically get is you get that price in the of the initial phase of uh, rate hikes, the market then pauses from an economic sense. It's like a mid-cycle slowdown. And then you work out where you go from there. So it might be that in the very long term, rates need to be higher still, if we can make the argument that neutral rates need to be higher. Or it might be that this these rate hikes and the higher inflation pressures and the cost of living crisis that we've described causes a recession. So I think we're at that sort of, you know, we're not entirely sure which way we're going to go over the medium to longer term. But I think for now, at least, the risks are a lot more balanced. And I think we could be more comfortable in taking more duration risks in the fund. And in terms of credit, again, I, I would agree with John. I mean, we've been sort of focused on some of the better quality, larger balance sheet investment grade bonds, because not only have you had that sell off in government rates, but you've also had a little bit of spread widening as well. So you can you can get some quite attractive yields in names that you can, you know, we can all be quite comfortable uh, with, even if the economic environment becomes that much more challenging. So, yeah, we've been, that's what we've been doing really in, in the fund. So adding duration um, and some selective increases in, in credit as well, but at the higher end of the quality spectrum. So, well, with different views that you had at the beginning, but actually the moves have been very, very similar, especially the one in duration with the different profiles of of your of your funds, but a significant move. So it, it is good to see the active active managers how they they, they move the portfolios when the conditions uh, change. And I think we have covered a lot. I, I don't know if you have anything else to add. Or, uh, okay, no, we can we can leave it here. No, no, it has been very very good observations. So thank you, thank you both of you. Thank you, John. Thank thank you, Stuart, for for your time for your insights and th thank you also to the to the listeners if if you have any questions please uh, get in touch with with square mile through our website is uh, www.squaremileresearch.com or by email uh, at uh, info at squaremileresearch.com and to keep up with the latest episodes in the token research uh, series please follow us on spotify or apple Podcasts. thank you 
This podcast was recorded on the 28th of April 2022. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremart makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremart at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.